So I'm going to dive right into our, our message time right now because we've got a lot to cover and a lot to look at today. And so we're going to begin with a scripture from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 5, the first seven verses. Vamos a comenzar con Isaías, capítulo 5, versículos 1 al 7. I'm going to read this first in Spanish. English speakers, you can kind of follow along and, and kind of review this. And then I'll read it in English. Voy a leer primero en español. And what we have here is a word through the prophet Isaiah to the people of Israel, but also to us. This is the word of the Lord. Palabra del Señor para nosotros hoy. Y dice lo siguiente. Cantaré en nombre de mi amigo querido una canción dedicada a su viña. Mi amigo querido tenía una viña en una ladera fértil. La cavó, la limpió de piedras y la plantó con las mejores cepas. Edificó una torre en medio de ella y además preparó un lagar. Él esperaba que diera buenas uvas, pero acabó dando uvas agrias. Y ahora, hombres de Judá, habitantes de Jerusalén, juzguen entre mi viña y yo. ¿Qué más se podría hacer por mi viña que yo no lo haya hecho? Yo esperaba que diera buenas uvas. ¿Por qué dio uvas agrias? Voy a decirles lo que haré con mi viña. Le quitaré su cerco y será destruida. Derribaré su muro y será pisoteada. La dejaré desolada y no será podada ni cultivada. Le crecerán espinos y cardos. <coughs> Mandaré las nubes no, que las nubes no lluevan sobre ella. La viña del Señor Todopoderoso es el pueblo de Israel. Los hombres de Judá son su huerto preferido. Él esperaba justicia, pero encontró ríos de sangre. Esperaba rectitud, pero encontró gritos de angustia. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Now you dwellers in Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done for my vineyard than I have done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? Now I will tell you what I'm going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it will be destroyed. I will break down its wall and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated, and briars and thorns will grow there. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed, for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. So it was a couple months ago in the month of August, I went up to Visalia and I was an observer. I, I attended an event for youth, for young people, and it featured an author and a podcaster by the name of Sean McDowell. Some of you may have heard of him. Hace dos meses en Visalia fui a un evento de jóvenes con un autor, Sean McDowell. And in this event, Sean McDowell invited the young people in the room to participate with him in a kind of thought experiment, okay? So in a thought experiment. Él invitó a los jóvenes a participar en un experimento mental. Imagine, he said, imagine what it would be like if we lived in a world 
where everyone followed perfectly God's standards, God's plan for marriage and sex. ¿Cómo sería el mundo si todos siguiéramos el plan de Dios para el matrimonio y sexo perfectamente? What would that world look like if, if everyone followed that, just that one plan of God? ¿Cómo sería el mundo si todos siguieran eso? Well, the answers were amazing. The youth, right away, they had answers. Uh, there would be no affairs. No habría aventuras uh, amorosas. There would be no divorce. No habría divorcio. There would be no rape or incest. No habría violaciones o incesto. There would be no unwanted children and therefore no abortion. No habría niños no queridos. No, no habría uh, aborto. There would be no sexual abuse or sexual harassment. No habría abusos sexuales. There would be no venereal diseases, no habría enfermedades venereales, there would be no pornography or pornography industry, there would be no prostitution, no human trafficking, and all of the organized crime that comes with it, no habría pornografía, ni prostitución, ni, ni e, 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 tráfico de seres humanos, there would, and the list just kept going, these young people had all of it practically, so there, there would be no cohabitation because people would trust their partner and they would trust God's plan for marriage, no habría cohabitación, there would be no sexual confusion or gender confusion, no habría ninguna confusión sexual o de género, the list was endless. And they were talking about just one of God's standards, just one of God's commandments. This is solo un solo mandamiento del Señor. And we could extend that thought experiment out a little more and say, what would the world begin to look like if there was no lying? If there was no robbery or stealing or cheating or murder where everyone took care of their parents, where everyone worshiped God. ¿Cómo sería el mundo si no habría mentiras, si no hubiera uh, um, homicidios y robos? You know what that world would start to look like? That world would, I dare say, begin to look like the kingdom of God. Sería casi como el reino de Dios. Now that's a thought experiment and some of you would say that's a wild pipe dream as well because the reality of our world is way different than that, isn't it? El mundo no es así. We live in a world where it seems like sin has, has grown out and wrapped its ugly tentacles into every nook and cranny, every crevice of the world, and it continues to grow. El pecado ha, ha extendido su rama, su tentáculo feos en cada rincón oscuro del mundo. That's the world we live in. But you see, God has a plan to change that. God has a plan to do the opposite. Dios tiene un plan para hacer lo opuesto. See, what God wants to do is he wants to extend his reign, his rule, his righteousness, and to have it branch out into the world, to go into every dark corner of our globe and fill the earth with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, the scripture says. Dios tiene un plan para, para extender las ramas de su reino en cada lugar. And that's the kind of vision we see lifted up for us in the Old Testament prophets. Así en los profetas del Antiguo Testamento, esta visión. Now, if you haven't been here, we're, we're talking about the kingdom of God, and what we're doing is we're tracing the kingdom of God 
all along the scriptures and getting a view of how this theme runs throughout the scriptures. Estamos viendo como, como el tema del reino de Dios pasa por, por todo, toda la Biblia. And last week we talked about the historical books of the Old Testament and what we see of the kingdom of God there. Vemos el reino de Dios en los libros históricos del Antiguo Testamento. Well, today we're looking at the prophets. Hoy miramos a los profetas. And what we're talking about are three of the major prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaías, Jeremías, Ezequiel. And we're talking about the, the 12 minor prophets that form, a part, that form a part of what the Hebrew Bible calls the, the prophets. And that's where we're at. And so when we look at this section of the Bible, cuando miramos esta sección, what we find is a, first of all, a brutally honest description of how the people of Israel have failed to be God's people, exercising God's power in God's place. The prophets show how Israel has not done that. Los profetas muestran como Israel no ha sido el pueblo de Dios en el lugar de Dios, mostrando el poder de Dios. And here in the prophet Isaiah, the, the prophet Isaiah lifts up a picture of what's going on and he uses the imagery of a vineyard. El usa, Isaías usa la imagen de una viña. He, he talks about how God has planted his people, Israel, in the promised land, just like a vineyard owner planting a vineyard. God cultivated the land. God cleared it of stones. God took out all of the garbage. God set up a wine press and a tower. He did everything possible to plant Israel in the land so that Israel would be completely fruitful. Dios pues quitó las piedras, puso un lagar, una torre, todo para que Israel tuviera éxito. God did everything he could. And then in Isaiah 5, 2, it says this. Then he, God, looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. Él esperaba que diera buenas uvas, pero acabó dando uvas agrias. What happened? God did everything right to get the kind of result that you would expect. Dios hizo todo lo bueno para, para traer un buen resultado. And yet, that's not what happened. Verse 7 says this, it says, He looked for justice. He was sowing and putting into the land what would bring righteousness and justice, following his power and his will, but he saw instead bloodshed. He looked for righteousness, but heard cries of distress. Él esperaba justicia, pero encontró ríos de sangre. Esperaba rectitud, pero encontró gritos de angustia. So what do you do in a situation like that? ¿Qué hace? Isaiah 5, 4, God asks that question. Now, he says, what more could have been done for my vineyard than I've done for it? When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only bad? ¿Qué más se podría hacer por mi viña? Que yo no lo haya hecho. Esperaba que diera buenas uvas. ¿Por qué dio uvas agrias? Well, verse 5, God says, I'll tell you what I'm going to do with my vineyard. I will take away its hedge, it will be destroyed, I will break down its wall, it will be trampled, I will make it a wasteland with briars and thorns growing there. Dice, le, le quitaré, le dejaré, uh, la dejaré desolada, será podada ni cultivada, le crecerán espinos y cardos. In other words, God is going to take away the protections and the land is going to be invaded and eventually what happens is that Israel is carted off. 
into exile because of their sin, because they didn't bear the fruit that God was looking for. Israel va a ser invadido y después llevado al exilio porque no daban los frutos de Dios. When the people of God fail to exercise the power of God in the place of God, they're going to suffer the consequences of that failure. Israel va a sufrir la consecuencia de su, de su falla, su fracaso. But not only are the people going to suffer, the land is going to suffer. La tierra también sufre. If we turn ahead, the prophet Hosea talks about this in Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Hoseas 4, 1, 3. Hosea says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. I've got a bone to pick with you. Escuchen, Israelitas, porque el Señor va a entrar en juicio contra los habitantes del país. Here's the problem. It's almost like God's in court, and he's saying, here's the deal. There is no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying, and murder, stealing, and adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. You're talking about a land that is rife with the weeds of sin and unrighteousness. Ya no hay entre mi pueblo fidelidad, ni amor, ni conocimiento de Dios. Cunde más bien el perjurio, la mentira, abunda en el robo, el adulterio, el asesinato, un homicidio sigue a otro. And what's the result? Verse 3, because of this, the land mourns, and all who live in it waste away. The beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea are dying. Por tanto, se resecará la tierra, morirán las bestias, el campo, las aves del cielo y los peces del mar. What Hosea is describing here is an ecological disaster, an environmental catastrophe caused by the sin of the people of Israel polluting the land. Es un catástrofe del medio ambiente causado por el pecado de Israel. So what do you do to clean up a mess like that? Well, the answer is not found by going somewhere to do that. You don't find the answer by going to a special place. La respuesta no es ir a un lugar especial. The prophet Amos talks about this. Amos, chapter 5, verse 5. Amos 5.5. It says, do not seek Bethel, do not go to Gilgal, do not journey to Beersheba, for Gilgal will surely go into exile and Bethel will be reduced to nothing. No acudan a Bethel, ni vayan a Gilgal, ni pasen a Beersheba, porque Gilgal será llevada cautiva y Bethel reducida a la nada. Don't go to Bethel. Bethel was a special worship place for the people of Israel. Bethel era un lugar especial. Bethel was the place where the patriarch Jacob saw a ladder coming down out of heaven, coming down from God to the earth. Jacob vio en Bethel una escalera del cielo a la tierra. Special place. That's not going to help you now. Don't go to Gilgal. Where, where was Gilgal? Gilgal was the very first place the people of Israel camped on their first night in the promised land. Special time, right? First night, new place, cool. You're not going to find your answer there. And Gilgal acampó, acampó Israel la primera noche en la tierra prometida. Don't go to Beersheba. Beersheba was a place where when Abraham, the father of the nation, entered the land, he planted this amazing tree and he called upon the name of the Lord. In Beersheba, Abraham, el patriarca, clamó al Señor y plantó un árbol. 
nice memories, but that's not going to solve the problem. So what's the answer? Amos chapter 5, verse 6, seek the Lord and live, or he will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. Busquen al Señor y vivirán, no sea que él caiga como fuego sobre los descendientes de José. You don't have to go to a place, you need to go to God. But here's the problem, the people don't know the way back to God. They aren't even looking for the way back. They've failed. And this is one of the things the prophets are brutally honest about. They're going to point to Israel's failure and describe what's gone wrong. Los profetas miran y, y, y señalan muy bien lo que Israel ha hecho para fracasar. But thank God, that's not the only thing the prophets are good at. There's another dynamic of the prophets that's very important, and that is the second thing, which is they also lift up a vision for the future, for what God can do to fix this. Ellos levantan una visión de cómo Dios para reparar eso. We find it interspersed with words of judgment. There's interspersed words of hope. In fact, in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 5, we begin to see this vision. It's, it's incredible. Jeremías capítulo 23, versículo 5. It says, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is right and just in the land. Vienen días, afirma el Señor, en que de la simiente de David haré surgir un vástago justo. Él reinará con sabiduría en el país y practicará el derecho y la justicia. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord, our righteousness. Judá será salvada, Israel morará seguro. Y este es el nombre que se le dará. El Señor es nuestra salvación. And that's not just the only time. This promise is actually repeated in a way in Jeremiah 33, verse 15. Jeremías 33, 15. In those days and at that time, so this is looking ahead, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. David is the great king of Israel. And he, this righteous branch, will do what is just and right in the land. En aquellos días, en aquel tiempo, haré que brote de David un renuevo justo. Él practicará la justicia, el derecho en el país. Again, it says, in those days, Judah will be saved, Jerusalem will live in safety, and this is the name by which the place will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. En aquellos días, Judá estará salvo, Jerusalén, segura, y será llamada el Señor es nuestra justicia. So Israel, the vine, has failed. Israel, the country, is dying on the vine, you could say. Israel, la viña ha fallado. But what God is going to do is out of the dead vine of Israel and out of the dead dry branches of Israel's failed kings, he is going to make a brand new shoot come out, a brand new branch, a righteous branch, a king who's going to do what God commands. He's going to follow God and display God's power perfectly. Uh, Dios hará de las ramas muertas de los reyes de Israel, hará surgir un nuevo rey, un vástago justo. This king will do everything right and he will make everything right. Hará todo bien y hará bien todo. He will not do what those other kings did and he will do what those other kings could not do. 
hará lo que esos reyes no pudieron hacer. And if you look at the prophet Isaiah, this lines up perfectly in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Isaías 11.1. It says, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse was King David's grandfather. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. Del tronco de Isaí brotará un retoño, un vástago nacerá de sus raíces. And listen to this. It says, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and of understanding. The spirit of counsel and power. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. El espíritu del Señor reposará sobre él. Espíritu de sabiduría y de entendimiento. Espíritu de consejo y de poder. Espíritu de conocimiento y del temor del Señor. It goes on to say, In verse 4, with righteousness he will judge or lead the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. Dice, juzgará con justicia a los desvalidos, dará un fallo justo en favor de los pobres de la tierra. You're talking about a new kind of power in the land. You're talking about a king who is not like the other kings. Those other kings were chosen by the people and anointed with oil. Aquellos reyes eran escogidos del pueblo, ungidos de aceite. This king is going to be chosen by God and anointed with God's spirit. Way different. Este rey es escogido de Dios y ungido de su Espíritu Santo. So out of this dead stump of the people of Israel out of these dead kings new life is going to come a new person una nueva persona viene del tronco muerto de Israel and this new person will display God's power do God's will in the land and he will make the people new as well el va a ser el poder de Dios en la tierra y renovar al pueblo And not only will the people of God be revived by this, this righteous king, the land will be revived as well. La tierra será avivada también. And the land will begin to produce the fruit that God wants for it. We look at the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 47 of Ezekiel. There's this amazing vision that Ezekiel has, Ezekiel 47. It starts from the temple of God where God comes to his temple and God the king is reigning from the temple in Jerusalem and there's this flow of water coming out of the temple of God streaming into the land. Del templo de Dios en Jerusalén viene un río de agua and that water is representing the Holy Spirit of God. And as the, the water goes out farther, the farther it goes, the deeper it becomes, the more powerful it becomes. Entre más lejos va el río, más profundo se hace. And in, in Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12, it says this, fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary or the temple flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. Junto a las orillas, el río crecerá, eh, crecerá toda clase de árboles frutales. Sus hojas no se marchitarán, cada mes darán frutos. Sus frutos servirán de alimento y sus hojas serán medicinales. There's this picture of the land bearing the kind of fruit God wanted it to bear from the beginning. Not only 
physical fruit, but there's a, a sense here that this is spiritual fruit. This is a society that brings healing and never withers, always gives every month what God wants and expects. Es una sociedad que no se marchita y siempre da frutos. What is this all about? What is God driving at? Isaiah 65, verse 17. And there it simply says this. Behold, I will create new heavens and a new earth. Presten atención, estoy por crear un cielo nuevo y una tierra nueva. So God's vision and His desire is to make every person new and to make the world his place new. A place where heaven and earth are back together again. That's a place like Eden because Eden was where God dwelt with his people. Es un lugar donde Dios habita con su pueblo como Eden. It's a new creation, a new people, a new place under a new king. Who is this king? Who is this this branch of righteousness. Who is this shoot that's coming out? It's none other than God's Son who will walk on the face of the earth. It's the Messiah, the Anointed One. It's Jesus. That's what the prophets are pointing us to. Jesus is the righteous branch. Jesús es el bastago justo. And He will be planted on the earth in order to extend the kingdom of God throughout the land. That's the plan. In, in a sense, Jesus is going to come and he is going to be the branch office of the kingdom of God. It's like a seed planted in the earth. Es como una semilla plantada. Jesús va a ser la rama oficial del reino de Dios. But the way that Jesus is going to accomplish this, we know, is not what you might expect. Because the way that Jesus is going to spread the rule of God throughout the earth is by being nailed to a dead tree and planted in the earth for three days. El va a ser clavado un árbol muerto. But out of the dead stump of that dead tree in the ground, our sins are also killed. In that dead stump, God puts to death everything that stands between sinners and himself. And Jesus will rise again from the dead. He will shoot forth as that new shoot, that righteous branch. You see, Jesus is the vine and the vineyard that Israel could never be. Where Israel fails, Jesus succeeds. Donde Israel falla, Jesús tiene éxito. Él va a resucitar como el retoño nuevo. Del tronco muerto de la cruz. He's the true vine. He's the true vine. Él es la vida verdadera. In fact, in John chapter 15, that's exactly what Jesus talks about. John 15, 5, Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. 
If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Yo soy la vid y ustedes son las ramas. El que permanece en mí como yo en él dará mucho fruto separados de mí. No pueden ustedes hacer nada. So here's the picture. Jesus, the righteous branch. Jesus, the branch office of the kingdom of God, comes to earth and he says, I'm the vine. He says, get connected to me and then you are my branches. And you're going to go out and you are going to be my presence in the world. Jesús es la vid verdadera y nosotros somos la rama para extendernos al mundo. And so the, the vision is that Jesus, the branch office of the kingdom of God, calls us to be his branch offices. And that the followers of Christ would fill the earth and walk along with Jesus and bear the fruit of Jesus Christ in their lives. Que nosotros deberíamos llevar los frutos de Jesucristo en nuestras vidas. But to do that, you got to be connected to the vine. You can do nothing apart from him. We can do nothing apart from Jesus. Tenemos que estar conectados con Jesús. So with all of this in mind, I want to ask this question. What would it look like for us, and not only us in this room, but for every single follower of Jesus Christ in the world? What would it look like for every Christian community in the world throughout the globe this week to go out into the world and function as branch offices of Jesus, the branch office of the kingdom of God? What would that look like? ¿Cómo sería el mundo si fuéramos y nos extendiéramos como ramas de Jesús, la rama oficial del reino de Dios? What would it look like if we, in, in the, our connection with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, would go out and in our lives lean into and live into increasingly God's plan, not only for marriage and sex, but for telling the truth? What would it look like if we were the kind of people who were generous instead of taking from people? If we we're the kind of people who give life instead of take life? If we're the kind of people that leave idols and worship the living God and show the world what that's like? ¿Cómo sería si nosotros eh, cada vez más viviéramos eh, según la pureza sexual, sin mentir, dando en vez de robando, dando vida en vez, en vez de matando? What would that look like if that were not just a thought experiment, but if that were a live experiment? I dare say that would begin to look like the kingdom of God taking over our world. Eso sería como el reino de Dios. That's what the prophets are pointing us to. And at this table we're going to come to in just a moment, we have an opportunity by faith to be reminded of our connection with Jesus. We have the opportunity by faith to reaffirm our connection with Jesus' body and with Jesus' blood given for us. The fruit of that in our lives, which is meant to pass through us and bear fruit elsewhere. En esta mesa nos conectamos por fe con la sangre del cuerpo de Jesús. We have an opportunity here to, to remember and to experience the reality that we are the branches. He's the vine. 
And we have an opportunity to be nourished, to be fed, not with bread and juice only. There's not enough to last the week here, right? No hay suficiente pan o jugo para, como para durar toda una semana, but to be fed by the very presence of Jesus amongst his people. We are fed so that we can branch out this week and be his branch offices. And so my prayer and my hope is that you will come with that understanding. We are nourished in order to bear fruit. Somos alimentados de esta mesa como para llevar frutos. May we humbly and joyfully receive from Jesus that we may also live for Jesus in our world this week. Que podamos recibir al Señor Jesús como para vivir por Jesús en esta semana. So I want to remind you of why we're here. The Lord Jesus, the same night that he was betrayed to go and die on that dead tree, the cross, he was with his followers, and he took bread, and he broke it, and he shared it with them and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. El Señor Jesús, la misma noche que fue entregado, tomó del pan y dando gracias lo partió y les dijo a sus discípulos, tomad, comed, este es mi cuerpo que por vosotros es partido. Haced esto en memoria de mí. And then after they had eaten, Jesus also took the cup And when he had blessed it, he gave it to them and said, this cup is the New Testament, the new agreement made in my blood for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink of it, do this in remembrance of me. También tomó de la copa diciendo, esta copa es el nuevo pacto hecho en mi sangre. Haced cada vez esto que tomad de ella en memoria de mí. As I mentioned before, the Lord's Supper is for those who are connected by faith to Jesus Christ the vine. If you have trusted in him with all your heart, you are determined to leave the fruitless life of sin and by the help of God to engage in bearing fruit for Jesus, loving him, following him, receiving from him, This table is for you. Ese es para todos que han profesado su fe en Jesús, dejando las obras no fructíferas del pecado para seguir a Jesús en sus obras, en su reino. If you're not sure where you land on that, if you're in a place of I'm, I'm still trying to sort this out in my life, you know what, that is an okay place to be, and we want you to know we, we respect that, and we do not want to obligate you. In fact, we would encourage you, take some time to meditate and pray, you, you, you do not have to feel obligated or forced to participate. In fact, it would probably be better, as I said, take this time to, to, to ask the Lord, what do I need to do to trust in you more? Si no está seguro de su fe y necesita tiempo para meditar, pueden observar sin participar 
en tomar del pan y de la copa. I want to invite our worship team, our serving elders to come up right now. In just a moment, when everyone is in place, we're going to invite those that wish to partake to come up and receive the bread and the cup. We invite you to go back to your seat and hold on to that. Use that time for reflection. When all have been served, we will partake together. We will eat and drink together. Pueden acudir al frente en el momento dado y recibir el pan y la copa. Por favor, no comen o beban todavía. Esperen a que todos hayan sido servidos y después vamos a comer y beber juntos.